So I'm really, really, really excited to share this message. I shared it last night. And let me tell you, we had three manifest healings. And I, I'm going to tell you about them later. I'm not going to tell about you about them yet. Because I want to get the word in you first. I believe that this topic, we're talking about letting go of control. I believe that this topic is, is, is something, as I share, and I share what the word says about it, there's going to be an anointing. There was last night, and I know there's going to be tonight. There's going to be an anointing for us to be in a position of letting go and letting God take over. Instead of us trying to get healed or instead of us taking steps, we're just going to sit back and let God be God. Yeah. So that's what happened last night, and I'm just expecting even more. Ken and I always pray before our meetings, and that was our prayer. God, even more, even more than last night, and last night was amazing. So I'm going to give you a little um, background to why I decided to teach this, because I always like to let you know, I believe the Holy Spirit leads, and I let him lead, and I believe, I, so I want to tell you how I think that this came to be. So rewinding over the last several weeks, I've been talking about grace, I've been talking about the cross side of grace and the resurrection side of grace. The cross side of grace is what Jesus purchased for us once and for all. He never has to pay the price again. And with the gift of his life, of the sacrifice of his life, he removed the barrier of sin that was in the way of us having a face-to-face -face relationship with God like we've like we're in the midst of right now, like we just experienced when we were worshiping. He made the way for that to happen. He made the way, Jesus made the way for us to have a vertical relationship with our Father with no barrier ever again if you are a daughter or a son of God. No matter what, it's called an unbroken fellowship. Now, sometimes you might feel like it's broken, but that's because you're letting it be broken. That's because you think you're not worthy, and that's all a lie. Because of the blood of Jesus, you are worthy. And our Father has open arms always, open and ready for us to run into his arms. So as I taught about that, my heart is to, to let the revelation of that amazing truth settle in your heart so that you can have that same amazing face-to-face -face relationship with God that he desires all of us to have. But that's not all because salvation doesn't just include relationship. It doesn't just include forgiveness. It includes the fullness of salvation that Jesus bought and it includes healing. Healing is part of salvation. And I taught all about that a few weeks ago. Then I taught about the resurrection side of grace because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Jesus was resurrected. We also were crucified with Christ and then resurrected to new life. So the resurrection side of grace empowers us to live horizontally with the world. First of all, in our own individual life, I need him. I need him when I'm at home, just God and me. I desperately want him, need him, depend on him. 
but I also depend on him here. I also depend on him when I get phone calls, people that are in crisis situations or just want to talk. I need him. And we are empowered by his grace to manifest Jesus wherever we go. That's the resurrection side of grace, manifesting Jesus wherever we go. And we can do that because he's in us. If he's in us, he's part of me. And so, just like I said, Jenny's got that sweetness about her. That's manifesting Jesus. And we all have, you know, our, he uses our own personality. He, he uses our own giftings. I mean, Alice has a way different personality than I have. But he uses Alice in a powerful way. He uses me in a powerful way, but we're very, very, very different. He uses your personality, but he manifests himself through you through me. So the last time I was here, we talked about one of the amazing ways that we can manifest Jesus, and it's through the fear of the Lord. Now that could sound confusing, because we talk about not fearing. We talk about fear being the, the opposing force of faith, the opposite of faith. Well, fear of the Lord has nothing to do with fear, with phobia with terror. Fear of the Lord has to do with reverencing God, being in awe of him and his presence. That's what fear of the Lord has to do with. It also has to do with wanting to please him more than anything else. That sounds like my ringtone. <laughs> I was just checking my phone. That's okay. That's okay. So it has to do with, with wanting to please God more than man, fearing God more than fearing man. It also has to do with loving what God loves and hating what he hates. He hates sickness. He hates cancer. So do I. He hates pain. He wants his kids to live the abundant life that he gave us to live. So we talked about loving what God loves and hating what he hates. Today, we're going to talk about another way to manifest Jesus called letting go of control and on your sheet you'll see a long subtitle because those are the things we're going to talk about and they all manifest Jesus I'm going to show you scriptures to give you evidence of that but we're going to look at how humility and submission and obedience and dependence and surrender and trust all manifest Jesus to the world and when we get out of God's way when we let go of control, oh, everything changes. Everything changes in an amazing way. So let's get going. First word I want to talk about is humility. And I'm going to read a scripture that Jesus spoke, declaring who he is or who he was when he was walking on this earth. Matthew 11:29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me following me as my disciple for I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest renewal and blessed quiet for your souls I read this a couple weeks ago the same scripture Jesus is talking about us yoking ourselves with him and he becomes our strength he becomes our source he becomes our helper and he gives us a big clue to how 
we can live with that, that strength of Jesus. And it comes through humility. Humility, being humble of heart, being gentle. And when we have this, this characteristic of Jesus in us and working through us of humility, we can come into a place of quiet rest, blessed, quiet rest. That is the environment for your faith to explode. That is the environment for miracles to happen. Being in a position of resting, knowing that God did it all and you don't have to do it. Being in a position of knowing that what Jesus did is more than enough. That's the environment for healing. That's the environment for receiving. So let's look at what Jesus, what humility looked like in Jesus. This particular scripture, every time I read it, it's one of those that just puts me in a position of reverential awe. Because Jesus humbled himself more than any human being ever before or since. Look at what, what it says. First of all, the direction in scripture says you and I must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then it talks about his attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even further in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So Jesus, God himself, stripped himself of deity and came to the earth as a human being. He was fully human. In fact, he did not start his ministry until he was 30 years old because that's when he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He needed the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit. He was stripped of his deity. He humbled himself by coming to the earth in the form of a man when he was God. And then he humbled himself even further through obedience to the will of God to die as our sacrifice, taking our judgment, paying the price for our sin. Jesus agreed with the Father's assignment for him, the cross, and he depended on the Father even to the point of his own death. Now that picture of humility is like oh, unbelievable. It's hard to even fathom, but we need to fathom it. We need to put our heart and our mind and meditate on what Jesus did for us and how he humbled himself. Now, let's take that definition of humility and look at ourselves. Humility. A humble person like Jesus depends on God and agrees with God. When we agree with God about what he's provided for us, and about who we are in him and because of him, then we are humble. In this world, that's not what we see. In this world, we see people looking at themselves based on their qualifications, their education, their giftings, etc. The, the, the uh, letters behind their name, their degrees, whatever it is, their job title, 
But God says, no. When you humble yourself, you see yourself the way I see you. You see yourself who you are because of me. And you're dependent on me and agreeing with me about who you are. That's humility. Humility is a constant recognition of our need for and our dependence on God. I need him. I need him. We need him, guys. We got to get out of the way. Yes, we have skills. Yes, we have intellect. Yes, we have, you know, training or whatever. But the bottom line is, none of that means anything compared to God, compared to knowing him and letting him work through us and in us. We need him. Humility is the acknowledgement that apart from God, we can do nothing. But through our trust and dependence upon him, we can do all things. I'm going to show you what Jesus says about this. Listen, John 5, 19. Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus, the son of God. And he says, I speak to you timeless truth. The son is not able to do anything of himself or through my own initiative. I only do the works that I see the father doing. For the son does the same works as his father. So here's Jesus. And he says, I can't do anything on my own, my own initiative. Now, Jesus was fully man. He was fully man. So he could have tried to do ministry on his own strength, just like I could try to do ministry on my own strength. I could get out there and make a, you know, make a plan and follow it through and do this and that and the next thing. That doesn't work. <laughs> and he knew that. Jesus says, I can't do it. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the anointing. He would not step out into ministry until he had it, until he had the Holy Spirit anointing. And that's Jesus. How much more us? So look at these next two scriptures. These are about us. Because we're called to do the same thing. We are called to come to the understanding, the revelation, that apart from God, we can do nothing. But with God, we can do everything. So look at these two scriptures. John 15, 5. Jesus says to you and I, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is giving us a direction. This is humility. Humility is saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus is the branch. And as children of God, we are engrafted into the branch, into the vine. I'm sorry, Jesus is the vine, we're the branch. And we are engrafted. Because we're engrafted, the life of the vine feeds us. But what if we're separated? Are we fed? Do we have the, the life of God coming into us if we're separated from the vine, if we're not abiding in him? No. We need him. We need to abide in him and him in us. And when we do, we can do all things. But if we're separated... We can do nothing. 
I mean, I look at where, I, I, Ken and I just sometimes we just sit and we just are in awe. We're just in awe of the fruit of this ministry. But that fruit only comes because of abiding in him and letting him be in control and being dependent on him and saying, God, we need you. We want you to be in control. We want to get out of your way and let you have your way. The next scripture is Philippians 4.13. This is the other side of the coin. The first side of the coin is without him we can do nothing. But the flip side is that with him we can do all things. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I was reading this and preparing, I, I was thinking about the author, the Holy Spirit, through the author, didn't say I can do all things through Jesus. He said I can do all things through Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is the descriptor of Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus as the Christ. And the, the word Messiah and Christ mean the anointed one and his anointing. That's how we can do all things. Through the anointing of Jesus the Christ in us. Through the anointing of the power of God in us. That's how we can do all things. That's how we can be strengthened. We need the anointing. In Acts 10.38, the scripture says that um, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do? He did good. And he went about and healed all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. But he didn't do it without the anointing. He had the Holy Spirit and power. And with the Holy Spirit and power, that's what he did. He went around and healed. He went around and took care of anyone who was under the oppression of the enemy. That's what we have. We have the same anointing. We are called Christians, little anointed ones. We have that anointing that Jesus carried. So with him, we can do all things. Depending on him, abiding in him, we can do all things. But separated from him, we can't do anything. So the benefits of humility are exaltation and promotion. So first of all, let's see how Jesus was exalted. This is the same scripture I read at the very beginning. The scripture that talked about Jesus humbling himself by becoming a man and then humbling himself even further by dying on the cross. This is the very next verse. For this reason also, because Jesus obeyed and so completely humbled himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in submission of those who are in heaven and on the earth and even under the earth and every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, sovereign God, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the exalted one. His name is above every other name. As soon as he said, it is finished, as soon as he paid the price in full, 
he was seated at the right hand of God. He wasn't standing. He was seated because his work was finished. And now, every name must bow to the name of Jesus. He is above every other name. His name is. He was exalted and promoted. But the same is true for us when we humble ourselves. Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, 6. God says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humility brings exaltation from God. When we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he exalts us in his perfect timing. And James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the spirit of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So humility leads to a position of being exalted. You can't outgive God. You come into that place of humility like Jesus did. Now, I'm nothing like Jesus. But Jesus humbled himself and said, I will serve. I will give. I will love. I will move in compassion. God, you just say it and I'm doing it. And God was with him and guided him and led him and he was exalted. When we choose to serve, when we choose to step out in compassion, when we choose to love God's people, he exalts you. He exalts us. He blesses us. He gives us what we need. I feel like I have just been given, uh, like, I don't know. can't put it into words, but I feel like I've just been given this gift today. You just can't outgive God. You just can't. I can't. And I spent the morning with God, and my, my day, I was telling Jenny, it's like, I can't even tell you how everything just flowed. And I have a week that is packed, I mean packed, with ministry and, 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 and heart things. Like, it, it takes a lot out of my heart, not just my time. And God is just filling me up so full, I could just ooze, ooze him everywhere. But that's what he does. He builds you up. He exalts you. So I'm going to go on to the next two words now, which are submission and obedience. Submission and obedience. The word submission, I like to replace with the word yielded. Submitting to we're talking about God. Submitting to God is yielding to God. Jesus did that. Jesus submitted to God. He was submitted and he was obedient. He was yielded to his father and he was obedient to his father. This is a, a ma another amazing scripture that gives us that, that truth. This is Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7. So, when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said, Since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you've clothed me with a body so that I may offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. 
So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and do your will, to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. This scripture in Hebrews is talking about Jesus, the high priest. And if you look in, uh, this is from the Passion Translation, but if you look in a more traditional, like the New King James, you'll see that part of the scripture is a prophetic word. There was a prophetic word that was spoken before Jesus was on this earth. And that word said that burnt offerings were going to satisfy God. There was no way that those burnt offerings could be the complete sacrifice needed for humanity to be saved. Jesus spoke, and he said, God, I'll do that for you. He said, I'll be the one. God, I'll be the one to go and do your will. I'll be the one to fulfill all that is written about me in your word. So what was he doing? He was modeling that attitude of submission and obedience in a, a way that we can't even begin to fathom. But submission isn't just making a choice to do what God said. Submission is the heart. It's the attitude. It's the desire to do what God is um, moving on your heart to do or speaking to you through his word to do. It is a heart um, way more than just a decision, way more than just a, a head issue. It's a heart issue. So we're called, like Jesus, to have that heart of submission and obedience to follow it. Here's a uh, scripture where God is directing us. Listen to this beautiful scripture. Isaiah 119, if you have a willing heart to let me help you, and if you will obey me, you will feast on the blessings of an abundant harvest. So God's saying, we're talking about letting go of control today. God says, if you have a willing heart to let me help you, and then if you're obedient to my direction, there's going to be abundance. There's going to be a harvest. There's going to be fruit. This is a healing class. God is saying to us, let me help you. If you have a heart that just lets go, lets go of control, and says, God, I, I, I let go. I humble myself under your mighty hand. I choose to submit to you. I choose to yield to you, to your word, to your promises, to your truth, and let you help me. And God, if you give me a direction, I will be obedient. God's promise is that there will be a harvest. There'll be fruitfulness in that situation. And I put a note here, and I believe it's on your sheet too, there is a problem, and that is that we can be obedient, but not willing. We can follow the law, follow the regulation. We can speak the word and not have it in our hearts. 
We can be obedient to say the right thing, do the right thing, but our heart isn't connected. The willingness. So I believe tonight there's just going to be a softening. Kent and I prayed that on the way here, that there is just open doors. And my prayer, and I'm just going to tell you bluntly and boldly, my prayer was that if there are any um, barriers, bondages, um, uh, uh, oppressions that you walked in here with that were like hooked on to you <laughs> in your soul, in your head, in your body, that they would be literally, God's just going to break through them with his word, with his promises, so that there will just be a penetrating of his love. So we are to have a willing heart and obedience. James 4, 7, another scripture that talks about submission. God says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is probably a lot of our a scripture that's in our memory bank, right? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I've got a whole new perspective on this scripture than I used to have. I used to believe it was three parts. Number one, submit to God. So I say, okay, God. I submit to you. Okay, God, I yield to you. Okay, God, I trust you. I give my heart to you. I love you. I worship you. I believe you at your word. Okay, that part's done. Part two, devil, let go of me. Get away from me. Get your hands off me. And then part three, he flees. I think it's a one-part scripture. I believe that when we submit to God, when we yield to God, that the devil is resisted. I believe that when we are abiding in God and he's abiding in us, the devil can't get anywhere near us. I believe that when, like Psalm 91 says, that when we um, uh, place ourselves in the shadow, I'm not saying the right words, in the shelter of the Most High, and we, we dwell there. There I go, I, I remember the right word. When we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, we are under his shadow. And later on in that same scripture, it says that we are under his wings. I believe that when we abide in God, he literally surrounds us with his arms, like my friend felt the angel today, but God just surrounds us with his arms and the devil can't get anywhere near us. I believe when we submit to God, we are resisting the devil. We don't even have to worry about the, the oppression. We don't even have to worry about the enemy. Because when we are in that place of the proximity of God, the presence of God, the enemy is outside of us and not able to get through. He can't get through our blind side because we are completely surrounded by the, the protection of God. the opposite is also true. I'm going to read it from my paper because I want to make sure I say this right. Instead of submitting to God and resisting the devil, many of us submit to the devil and resist God. What does that look like? And again, this might just be my, my interpretation and if so, and if you don't agree with it, you, you go with what, you're, what 
is in your heart. But when, when we give the enemy credit for all of the yuck in our life, when we put our eyes on the enemy and the negativity, the problem, the pain, the issues, and we literally say, I'm being attacked. The enemy is attacking me. Or we, I've, I've heard this many times where people say, I don't understand why I keep getting attacked. One thing after another, after another, after another. Well, guess what they're doing? They're submitting to the devil and resisting God. The devil and his power. He is powerful. The enemy is powerful. Not as Jesus. That's right. He has no power. Jesus won the war. Our part is to enforce it. And how do we do that? Submitting to God. Abiding in God. So that's something to think about. Is your focus on the problem? Is your focus on this attack and this attack and this attack and this attack? Because maybe the reason that all of that is happening is because you're unknowingly resisting God through your submission to the, the, the negative things that are going on. Now, I'm not saying that it's, that it's peaches and cream because it isn't. But the, my, my first reaction is to run to God, not to fight the devil. My first reaction is to run under his wings, to praise and to worship, to get into his presence, to let him love me, to let him take care of me. This is called letting go of control because God wants to take care of us. He wants to love us, but he's not going to force himself upon us. We have a free will, and we have to get out of, we have to, we have to let go of stuff, let go of control, and let him help us. So let's talk about dependence and surrender. These all kind of meld into one another. This is one of the lies, big lies of the enemy. It's in the world right now. It's big time in the world. And that is, it's a big fat lie that independence and being in complete control of your own life and future are powerful personal attributes. I lived 43 years that way. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. That's what the world says. It's important to be an independent person. It's important to be in control. It's important to, you know, be a strong person. But God says something very, very different. I, I remembered one more thing I want to add on before I talk about God's best. This is, this is another um, uh, way that the enemy puts a little more fuel on that fire. So we have our culture that says we need to be strong and independent and all that. But then here's how the enemy puts more fuel on the fire. Many of us have lived situations in our life where we have tried to depend on somebody, not talking God right now, but somebody, maybe your husband, maybe your parents, maybe a, a good friend, and they did not live up to what you needed. You found out you couldn't depend on them. Therefore, you made a decision at that time, that season of your life, that you were going to take care of yourself that you were going to be independent because you couldn't depend on the other people. That is a big, huge uh, 
danger that the enemy has stirred up in the world that we live in. Now, this is the truth. The truth is that God wants us to be humble. But the opposite of humility is pride. Pride. Pride in your own achievements. Pride in your own hard work. God's best for us is submission. We've been talking about that. Submitting to him. Yielding to him. But the world's view is it's important to be in control of everything. To be in control yourself. God's best is for us to be dependent on him. But the world's view is it's more important to be independent. So those three words, pride, in control, and independent. That's a picture of who I was for the first 43 years of my life. And probably a lot of you can, can relate as I tell my story. So um, I started out, uh, I'm just going to real quick version, started out as a, a kid, as a, as a student who was very, very studious and wanted straight A's and do everything perfect and worked my butt off in school. I was valedictorian of my high school class and, you know, went to college. I graduated from college in three and a half years on a, uh, you know, full degree and because um, I was driven, I'm going to do this, I'm going to set my goals, I'm going to reach my goals. Then I got married right out of college, had three kids, had a daycare in my home, at the same time did a master's plan, at the same time was teaching piano lessons and, you know, because a super mama, super everything, right? Then I went and got my, uh, went and got my first um, job in a, a school setting and my goal was to work my way up into administration and I was make, heading that way, everything was going good and then I was diagnosed with stage four cancer when I was 43 years old. So at that point, there was something I couldn't fix. There was something I couldn't control. So I lived 43 years, pride in my own accomplishments, in control myself, and independent. But let me tell you, when I surrendered, when I said, God, I need you, when I said, God, I surrender to you, everything changed. I didn't realize what I was missing. I didn't realize what a heavy burden I was carrying that I didn't need to be carrying until I finally let it go. The first thing I let go was the burden of this health issue. And God took it from me. His promise is, if you're willing to let me help you, and if you're obedient, well, look at this abundant harvest I'm going to give you. That was the first stage. But when I realized how amazing God was, I started letting him take care of me in every area. The next big area I gave him was my work. I still had the same job. I still had the same responsibilities. But I let him be Lord of it. I gave it to him. I let him help me. I became dependent on him every day of my life. I said, God, I can't do this. I don't want to do this without you. And every day I took my needs to him. I said, Jesus, this is what my day is like. I need you to help me. And he did. And he does. Then one by one, everything in my life, my, my marriage. Ken and I have released our marriage 
to God and let him be the Lord of our marriage. We're parents of three grown kids. We let him parent through us, help us to parent, help us to, to know how to, to love our kids well and teach them well at the age that they're at right now. He wants us to do that with every single facet of our life. So this thing called surrender is so important. It is the number one step. And I love leading people to surrendering. There's a whole lot of people that are in the same position I was who have never surrendered. So I love to lead people in, the, in that first prayer of surrender. So it is, that's the first step, but it's not just the first step. It is a continuing requirement of a life of faith in God, a life of walking in faith. I surrender constantly. I love it. It's like I don't have to do anything on my own. I don't have to be superwoman. I don't have to do all the, the, the striving that I used to do because I have God and he makes it so easy. He makes it so um, seamless. He does that for all of us. But the key is letting him, letting go of control and surrendering, becoming dependent on him, letting go of that lie that independence is a powerful personal attribute and saying, nope, nope. Instead of a declaration of independence, I give God my declaration of dependence all the time. We need to let him be master of us and of everything in our lives. And once you stop trying to do things on your own strength, that's when God can take over. That's when God will help you and lift you up. So I'm going to share an analogy. Um, I share this one many times, so you've probably heard it before, but it's a good one, and I'm going to share it again. And it's the analogy of a master carpenter. You guys, I've told you many times, but Kent is a master carpenter. He is so, so, so gifted. And in order to do what he does, he has tools. He has good tools. And they live in our basement. Those tools don't create anything unless they're in my husband's hands. But when they're in his hands, oh, what he can do. That's what we are to God. God creates masterpieces with our lives. But he cannot do it unless we put ourselves in his hand. He's given us a free will. He will not force himself upon us. But if we surrender constantly and let him, he will. He will mold us. He will help us. He will teach us. He will, he will create masterpieces with our life. You know that beautiful scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, God says, I know the plan I have for you, baby girl. It's a good one. I will prosper you. I will not harm you. I will bring you that hope in the future that you desire. That's his promise. But in order for it to be fulfilled, we have to agree. We have to let him. And the way we let him is by letting go of control and putting ourselves in his hand, by surrendering to him and being dependent on him. Listen to the scripture, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do 
the good things that he planned for us long ago. He wants to create a masterpiece with us. And the interesting thing is, you know, every one of us has such different gifts. So the masterpiece that he creates in Jenny is going to look completely different than the masterpiece he creates in me or in Kent or in Jennifer or in Kelly and Nathan. He knows there, there's gold. There's, there's, there's just this, this treasure chest of gold in every one of us. And he wants to create a masterpiece with it. He's got to let him. Okay, so that leads me to the last word on your sheet, which is trust. Trust. Oh, God. I just pray that this amazing gift just flows into our hearts because it is a gift and it's not hard it's not hard so there's a difference between faith and trust faith is a noun faith is something you have or possess in Hebrews 11 it says faith is a substance of things hoped for and it's the evidence of things not seen so faith is a something you have. Faith is a confident belief in God. Confident belief in his word and that his word is true. Knowing that his word is true. Faith is knowing that God can and will do what he claims. Faith is being fully persuaded of something true. And that's another whole teaching. I teach on faith a lot. But faith is just this this absolute conviction in your heart that God is God and his word is real and his promises are true and you'll never convince me otherwise. I am, it's settled. It is just settled in my heart. That's faith. But trust, on the other hand, is a verb. Trust is something you do or act upon. So faith comes first. That conviction, that absolute knowing that this is real, that comes first. But trust isn't guaranteed. You can have faith and not act upon it. Trust is a willful choice. It's a deliberate action, and it can only grow out of faith. Trust is faith in action. Trust is the manifestation of our faith in our thinking, in our words, and in our actions. There's a scripture that says, I believe and therefore I speak. I have faith and therefore I voice it. I was talking to Carl before the meeting and he was telling me how he goes to other events during the week and he can't stop talking about this meeting. And he's always telling people about this meeting. He wanted, I gave him a bunch of cards. Because he says, I don't even know, like, to tell them the name of the church or anything or where to go. But they all want to come. Because what's happening? There's something in here, Carl. That faith is growing. That conviction, that, that good news that you want to share. You have good news. You want the other people to have the good news, right? That's the next step. That's trust. That is faith in action. That's doing something with what's in there. So we're talking about 
letting go of control right now. We're talking about dependence, surrender, submission, humility. And the next one is a big one. It's trust. It's making a choice. It's a deliberate choice to actually trust God. It's easier to have faith than it is to trust. I'm going to read a little story to you right now, just a little mini one, about two minutes. Um, and it just is a beautiful picture of the difference between faith and trust. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in us. It's a story about a, a man named the Great Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. And this took place back in the 1800s. So in the late 1800s, there was this performer. He was known as the Great Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. One of his greatest stunts involved walking a tightrope high above the world-famous Niagara Falls. Blondin performed this death-defying feat more than once, each time adding elements of difficulty. Once he even carried his manager on his back. Now you got a picture of the Niagara Falls in the 1800s with a tightrope, right? Walking over the Niagara Falls. So this man was quite a showman, and he had a knack for engaging the crowd, stirring the suspense and the excitement. Upon completing one attempt, he asked the crowd if they believed a second attempt would be successful. The crowd unanimously agreed it would. Always looking to better his last great feat, Blondin now asked the crowd if they believed he could cross the falls on a tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow. Having seen his previous stunt and how seemingly easy it was for him, the crowd had no doubt that he could pull off the more difficult one. So again, the response was unanimous. The crowd had no doubt that the great Blondin could do it. So Blondin was ready to attempt this amazing feat that only he could do. But before he set out on that rope, he had one last question for the crowd. Which one of you will ride in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> the crowd was frozen, still, silent. Not a single person responded to that challenge. So all of those people had witnessed Blondin cross the falls on the rope. They gained firsthand knowledge of his abilities. They had a well-founded belief that he could perform the more difficult stunt. Yet, when it came time to act on those beliefs, they were silent. They did not trust him. They believed, they had faith, but they didn't trust him. They wouldn't get in that wheelbarrow. They would not take that step, that action step that showed they really believed so much that they were going to take an action and get in that wheelbarrow. So here we are. Many of us have a very deep relationship with God. We, we know that he's our savior. We know that he died on the cross for us. We know that he took the stripes on his back for our healing. We know that the word is true. We know that the promises of God, he says yes to them. That every promise has been fulfilled through Jesus. We may know specific promises for our needs. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. The chastisement of his peace was, was paid for. I have the gift of his peace. We may know the word inside and out. 
but do we trust him? Sometimes I've heard this said, it's easier to believe for somebody else's healing than it is for your own. Why is that? Is that putting yourself in the wheelbarrow on the tightrope? And it's like one step too far, like I can believe for them, but that's just too much for me. I'm afraid. What happens if I fall? God says, trust me. I will never let you fall. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. His promises are true. And when we are in that place where it seems like everything in the world is going against us, the doctor's report, the symptoms, the, 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 the documentation of the, you know, everything that when you go get all those tests done, God says, just trust me. Come into that place of trusting me. What does it look like? What does that look like? Getting up and praising God in the middle of the battle. Praising him for his healing grace. Praising him that the work is already finished. Putting a smile on your face. Come into these meetings. <laughs> Those are all steps of faith. Those are all actions of trust. Talking to your friends. Talking to your, 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 um, your mentor, whoever it is. Stirring up that faith in your heart. Keeping the switch of faith turned on. Not letting it go off. Next week, I'm going to be sharing more about that action of faith, that action of trust, taking it another step. I'm going to look at one scripture today. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. This is one of my scriptures. You can have it too. But it's mine. It is so mine. It is in my heart. I live by this scripture. God says, trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The word trust in the scripture, when, when you look at the amplified, it means to lean on to trust in and to be confident in God. Now, if you're leaning on somebody else for support, God, if you're leaning on God for support, he's carrying the weight. If I lean on somebody else, my, my burden, my weight is not all on me. It's now on that person. When I lean on God for support, he becomes my security. He becomes my help my anchor. God says, lean on me with all your heart and mind. And he says, don't lean on your own understanding. See, we often do the first part, but then we flip back and forth and we lean on our own understanding, our own reasoning, our own research, our own trying to figure it out and taking, you know, making decisions, making decisions, making decisions about the next step and the next step and the next step trying to figure it all out. When we're in that position of looking at every single way to figure out the problem, we're not trusting God. We're leaning on our own understanding. I take this a step further. I give up my right to understand. 
I don't have to understand. I literally go to God and I tell him that all the time. God, I trust you. I trust you. I don't have to understand. And there's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't trouble my mind about it. I don't dwell on it. I don't worry about it. I put it out of my mind. I put it out of my heart. I refuse to give it any life in here. I put my eyes on God and I declare my trust for him. So let's make this real. You may have um, to make decisions about your health. You may have to make decisions about treatment plans or doctor's appointments or which doctor you go to or which treatment or surgery or medicine or whatever it is that you're going you're gonna to take. There's nothing wrong with that. Pastor Tim taught us well, and it's deep in me, that there's nothing wrong with medical help or um, uh, um, natural means, you know, natural medicine. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But the key is, is your trust in God or is your trust in the medicine? Is your faith in God or is your faith in the medicine or the doctor or the treatment plan? It's, it's sometimes I see people almost like on a, a hamster wheel. Like they try something and it doesn't work. So then they try something else and it doesn't work. And then they try something else. And it's always searching and seeking for the next thing. But are their eyes on Jesus? Are their eyes on the finished work of Jesus? And in his presence, like we started this meeting, in that place of his love just just covering you and his wings surrounding you and taking care of you. God says, trust in me with all your heart and mind. Now, in order to do that, we need to choose to do it. Get quiet. Put aside everything else. And just soak in that place of his presence. Say, God, I trust you. Meditate on his word. And say, God, I trust you. I trust your word. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what I feel. I trust you. The next verse goes on and it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That word acknowledge is the word yada, the Hebrew word yada. And it means to know him intimately. In all your ways. That means in every facet of your life, know him. That word yada means encounter him. It means interact with him. God says to us in this scripture, he's giving us a direction on how to trust him. He says in every facet of your life, no matter what it is, let me in. Let me be a part of this decision. Interact with me. Encounter me in the midst of this. Huh. I remember having PET scans where I am laying on that PET scan table and it's all Jesus in me. That machine doesn't even, it has, it, like I forget it's there. It's Jesus and me. I remember them taking my Bible. It's a big one. It's a fat one. And they say, oh, you can't 
hold this because they put something in your veins that has to go through your body and they didn't me, want me to hold my Bible. I said, well, that's okay. I can pray in tongues. <laughs> I can pray in the spirit. I can talk to God. And I, so encounter him. Let him be a part of everything. In all your ways, know him, interact with him, encounter him. And what's the promise? He will direct your paths. And that literally means he will make the crooked paths straight and the rough paths smooth. That's good news. But in order for that to happen, we need to trust him and we need to know him in every step, every step that you take. So I'm going to close with this scripture, Matthew 16, 33. But first, most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after him, his kingdom, his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and the character of God. And today we're talking about his humility, his submission, his obedience, his trust in his father and everything else will be added unto you also in Matthew the same scripture in the message it says steep yourself I love this <laughs> wow every time I read this I just like get this download of his presence steep yourself I drink tea I love tea when I put a tea bag in the water the tea just, it, it, I don't know what the word, emulsifies or immerses and, and, and meshes. I don't know the right word. But you know what it mean. I mean, the tea bag, just all of the flavor goes into the water. Right? That's what God wants us to do with him. He wants us to steep in him. So that I become him and he becomes me. We become one together. Steep in him. Steep yourself, your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Isn't that good news? So let's go home this week and do some steeping. So this is what I spoke last night. I'm going to share it again. I believe this is something that we need to take home and do. I'm giving you homework this week, and Cindy doesn't give homework. I'm giving you homework this week. This week, whenever you, no matter what it is, how little or how big, it could be um, you have a stressful morning. Um, you have to get somewhere early in the morning or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is, live what we talked about. Trust God. Surrender to him, yield to him, say, God, I'm yielding to you, I'm listening to you right now. What do I do first? What do I do next? Steep. <laughs> Be a tea bag with God. Steep in God. But apply this this week. Every time, every situation, even if you don't have stress, even if you don't have a, a difficult week, take time to let God be God, to let go of control, to stop reasoning things out. Don't let yourself. Don't let yourself. If you hear yourself in your brain starting to try to figure it out, say, nope, not doing it. God, 
I trust you. I'm going to yield to you. I'm going to let you direct my paths and then see how he does it.